This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. Would you open your Bibles to the book of John chapter 18? We've been telling old stories about Darren, and it, uh, one I remembered that I hadn't shared in a while was uh, back in the, in the late 1900s. Um, I was, uh, <laughs> I was, anybody grew up in a small town in the uh, Midwest, like with football, Friday night lights kind of thing? Okay. So y'all, like Texas people, you guys, whatever. But in, in Nebraska, small town Friday night lights, we had like rivalries that involved fist fights. Do you know what I'm saying? Like we were white trash and because my parents didn't own roosters to fight, like they would fight us against each other. I mean, I don't know how else to say it, but we, we didn't realize that was weird. But as a kid, like they would, uh, uh, they would like third grade boxing, anybody, any third graders in boxing, do they even do that anymore? So I don't think they did. I think my parents were like betting on each other. Ah, Jim Purcell's kid against Clarence Tyler's kid. And, you know, so I mean, we were a little scrappy. And so that always resulted in scraps when you were at other uh, teams. And so there was a little town called Hebron, Nebraska, that was about 45 minutes from my town, which was called Superior, Nebraska, named with no sense of the irony um, that it was not superior at all, like a town of like 1,500 people. But our team had a rivalry with, uh, with Hebron. Now, the problem with that was I was dating a girl named Mary Yelm who was from Hebron, Nebraska, a Hebronite. And so on this particular Friday night in 1988, I had gone to Hebron. Uh, now, here's the, the problem of this. I had told my mom that I was spending the night at my friend Marcus Gonzalez's house. My friend Marcus Gonzalez told his mom he was spending the night at Darren Tyler's house. What could possibly go wrong with this, right? So I go with Marcus Gonzalez, uh, not to his house, nor him to my house, but to Hebron so that I could see Miriam. Now, Marcus was a third wheel. He didn't seem to mind at the time. Uh, so we get to Hebron, Nebraska, and the football game's going on. The game's over. And so we're kind of walking around and, you know, holding hands. And, and this car stops, right? just slams on the brakes. And out steps a couple of dudes that were significantly larger than me and drunker than me, which is to say I had not been drinking at all, and they had been drinking a lot. And so uh, they are, they're, they're now threatening to take my, so basically I've stolen one of the Hebronite girls, and they're going to steal them back or whatever, get in the car. And I, you know, the age of chivalry wasn't dead, at least not yet. And so me and Marcus are going to take care of business and defend my girl in her honor. And so I tell Mary, run, 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 run. I look around, and Marcus Gonzalez is gone. I was like, no, no, Marcus doesn't sound anything like Mary. I didn't mean for you to run. I mean, we call them Speedy Gonzalez. I don't know if that's offensive. I just know that it was true because he was a, fat, he was a track guy and ran fast. So he's gone. So now, Darren Tyler, the young third grade boxer, who is now 16, 17, whatever, I'm, 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 I've got to go. I've got to fight, right? So I, I literally, I balled up my fist and I'm going to take out the one guy first that had this whole thing because I'd seen it in the movie. Um, <laughs> 100% true story. I take a swing at this guy. Now, he's, did I mention he was bigger than me? So I'm, I'm, I'm hitting up, which is not the best way. And I'm going, I'm literally going to just knock him right in the face. So I'm like, and I hit him right in the shoulder. 
None of you have ever been hit in the shoulder, but it doesn't hurt. And that's what I learned. And the last thing I remember, I swear, he knocked me all the way out. I remember on the ground him kicking my head in. Uh, and I, now I got to go home and tell my parents, because my eye is swollen shut, my lips look like Mo after an allergic reaction. <laughs> Poor Mo. He deserves, look, he gives us so much crap. It's, act like he don't give me crap. But anyway, uh, I got to go tell my mom and dad that I have, uh, that I lied. And so what I'm now learning is that I've got my friend Marcus Gonzalez and, and Mary Yom and my friends that can defend me as to what actually happened. Because my dad is saying, what, I guess maybe what I would have said, well, what'd you do to deserve that? You must have done something to deserve that kind of a whooping. You know, and I'm looking for my friends to get my back and they're like, nothing, nothing, no way at all. They're not saying a word to me when I needed my friends to defend me the most, right? They got nothing for me. And that was a long day. Now we all became, we stayed friends or whatever, but I was thinking about that because that's exactly what's happening to Jesus in John chapter 18, except one difference, he was completely innocent. And his friends, his colleagues, the people around him that knew the truth, that could have spoken up on his behalf, were either running their mouth, they were denying they knew him, they were lying about him, they were accusing him falsely at a time when he needed somebody to stand up for him, when someone should have stood up for him, they sold him right up the river, unless it's down the river. Is it up the river or down the river? Up the river, DJ, thank you. So John chapter 18, verse 36, Jesus is standing in front of Pilate now. And one of the things that you realize in Israel is that if you read through John 18, they're, you know, they're at a Pilate's house, then they're at Caiaphas's house, and they go back to this one. It seems like, gosh, they're, you know, like I've gone to downtown Franklin, now I've got to go down to Columbia. Literally, it's like if you're in downtown Franklin and you've got to go from the courthouse to the police department and back, it's like walking distance. So it seems like, how did they do all of this? But the fact is these were very close proximity to each other. So now Jesus is in front of Pilate, which is be like in front of like the local governor of that specific area. And Jesus said to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. And so Pilate says, you are a king then. But Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. In fact, in fact, if you're an underliner, underline this next sentence. The reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. And then this, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? Retorted Pilate. He was mocking him. With this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. This guy's innocent. But, it's your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? And they shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. And now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. And it goes on to explain that. And we're going to get into that. But this is God's word. Let's pray, Heavenly Father, as we encounter your word tonight, I pray that it is the light and the lamp that you promised that it would be. Lord, at a time when truth is on trial still to this day, 
Would you show us you? You are the truth. You are the way. You are the truth. And we ask for you to reveal that to us tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. 18 verse 37, in fact, the reason I was born came into this world was to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Truth requires us to take a side. And the side is truth or lie. There's no middle ground when it comes to truth. There is no your truth or my truth our truth. There's just the truth. And this trial that Jesus is experiencing, if he is the way, the truth, and the life, means that it's not just Jesus on trial. Yes, it's Jesus on trial, but it was the truth itself that's on trial. And in the same way that I needed some witnesses to come to my behest to say that I didn't pick a fight with these two drunk dudes from Hebron, Nebraska, Jesus needed some people to speak up on his behalf. And in this chapter, we see that there was Peter who denied that he even knew him. He denied the truth about his relationship with him. We see that there were Jewish leaders who denied the identity of Jesus so much that they actually brought him to Pilate for trial. They wanted to execute him. And you got Pilate who knew he was innocent and he didn't speak up either. He denied the innocence of Jesus truth on trial. And I want to show you that these three little categories still exist today. Those who deny your own relationship with Jesus, those who deny the identity of Jesus, and those who deny the the deity, the innocence of Jesus. Now, Peter, he had the chance to say, yeah, look, I know this guy. He's my friend. But he didn't even deny just a theological truth here. He denied he even knew him. He denied that he was friends with him, that he had spent time with him. These, in fact, the, it says the cousin, right, of the person who he chopped his ear off was there going, hey, I know that guy. He cut off my cousin's ear. And he's like, I don't have any idea what you're talking about. I don't even know who he is. And Peter's desire to deny his relationship with Jesus was 100% based on preserving his life, preserving his livelihood. If he were to admit that he knew who Jesus was, the risk that he was going to take was a risk that he could lose his actual, literal, physical life. At, at, at the worst, and very possible, if not his physical life, he's going he's gonna to be imprisoned, or he's going to be marginalized. He's going to lose out on opportunities. And what did Peter do? Keeping in mind, just the night before, I'll die for you. I would never, I'll die for you. And now three times before the rooster crows and he's like, I don't even know who he is. And it is easy to get kind of mad and judgy about Peter and then realizing that in all of our lives, in any given moment, we have an opportunity where we will deny that we even know Jesus, not out loud, like I don't know who he is, but in our behavior. If you are treating your spouse with abuse, in that moment, you're denying your relationship with Jesus. I don't know who he is because I'm going to treat you like this. You didn't say it out loud, but I'm not trying to heap shame on you. I'm just trying to say there are moments in our lives where we 
we're denying who we are in our relationship with Jesus because I'm like, hey, you, Jesus, you hang out over there. I'm going to tie you up in the corner because I'm going to do this terrible thing to my spouse. I'm going to do this thing on the internet. There's all kinds of ways that we deny who Jesus is in our daily walk without saying a word. Now, that's on a, on a micro level. On, on, to, to pop the lens out a little more, we live in a world right now where there are teachers, especially in California, um, and ladies and gentlemen, I'm sorry, my friends, but it's coming to Tennessee as well. Hopefully, I pray that it doesn't. But where we're in a situation where there are certain teachers that have to make a decision, will I deny that I have a relationship with Jesus and say that this young man who thinks he's a girl and call him by a pronoun? that isn't his pronoun. There's an option where we're going to have to at some point say that we might lose our jobs to violate our conscience with our relationship with Jesus. I mean, Chris, thank God for teachers like you, Jim Coach, that is investing and speaking into their lives. And I pray that as long as you are allowed into that world, that you will continue to love them that way. And the moment when you are forced to violate your conscience, if you get fired for it, we got your back. Because I know, yeah, you're not going to, I know Chris, he's not going to deny Jesus like that. There are those that I know personally, you do as well, that have lost their presence on social media because they've talked openly about truth. They've lost their livelihoods. And that's not nothing these days. Like people build a career around social media or YouTube where there's revenues coming in and they're demonetized. That sounds so whatever, sterile, but demonetized. They're literally taking their job away because of the relationship with Jesus. And the question is, are we willing, unlike Peter in this moment at least, are we willing to lose out on those kinds of opportunities on our livelihoods just to keep our paycheck coming and deny that we know who Jesus is. Now, I will say this. Some of you may be, not at the 5 p.m. service, of course. I'm talking about those at the 11 a.m., not you. If you have made that decision and you have denied Jesus like Peter. And by the way, everyone in this room, at some point in our lives, consciously, unconsciously, some version of it, we've been in that moment where we have denied Jesus, whether out loud or through our silence, through our behavior, whatever. But I love what Jesus said to Peter in Luke chapter 22. Satan has desired to sift your soul as wheat, but I have prayed for you so that when you are restored that you will go and strengthen the brothers and the sisters. If you have fallen into that and you have any guilt or shame at all, know that Jesus, remember the gospel is not shame on you, it's shame off you. And just like Jesus said to Peter, I have prayed for you, he's praying for you as well. And he wants you restored and he wants you now to go and to strengthen the brothers and the sisters. There's so much grace in our Father, so much grace in Jesus. You do not have to view it with shame. But I'll tell you, I've traveled the world, Eric, many in this room, you've traveled the world as well. What we've experienced in these last decades as far as Jesus people in America is the exception and not the rule in history. 
Throughout history, the rule is a world built on lies does not like Jesus. A world built on lies, the father of lies, Satan, doesn't like Jesus. And so truth has always cost, always throughout history. And it seems like that it's been more lately because we've got big tech companies that are shutting down people's voices. But I'll tell you, in 2007, I was managing a band called Cutlass, which was like a butt rock band from Portland that we had a pretty good run. And so we put together a deal with this company called Suzuki. Anybody remember Suzuki? We were going to give away motorcycles and they were sponsoring the tour. In fact, it was the, the Hearts of the Innocent Tour. Uh, Hearts of the Innocent Tour, powered by Suzuki. That was the commercial that went around the nation. And here's the thing. At the end of that tour, we handed in our things and Suzuki, the people, the executive at Suzuki is like, wow, these numbers are so amazing of how many cars and motorcycles were sold. They made us resubmit the numbers and audited them because they thought we were lying. But we were not only not lying, it turned out we had actually, there were more motorcycles and more cars that were sold then. And so, wow, now they're going to celebrate this by talking to their executives above them that we need to do more, more tours with Cutlass. And so we have this meeting and there's an executive from LA that says, oh, wait, 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 wait. This is a Christian band? Well, we're done here. We can't sponsor a Christian band. That's offensive. That, that was 18, 19 years ago, long before YouTube, Companies were shutting down sponsorships of Christian music tours because they were Christian. And that was the only reason why. So this is not new. That cost somewhere in the neighborhood of $100,000 for my client because of their faith. So this isn't new. And the question will be for us as, this, as the screws tighten, so to speak, will you and I, will we have the strength, will we have the courage to not be Peter and deny that we even know him, or will we be those who say, come get my money, come get my house, because as Jim Elliott says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Jim Elliott was a missionary. Many of you know his story. He was murdered by a tribe that he was witnessing to and trying to reach decades ago. And to this day, by the way, if you've ever flown on a mission aviation plane around the world, and I have flown on a few of them, started by his ministry out of Twin Falls, Idaho. Every time we're in Haiti, we got to get in a plane. I don't know how safe they really are because they let Eric steer the last time we were there. We're like flying over the mountains of Haiti and Eric's like, can I drive? Uh, actually, they actually asked him if he wanted to drive. He didn't ask, but of course, the answer to Eric, of course I want to drive. So I'm like, yeah, I'll pray in the spirit where we'll be fine. Um, we lived and it was actually really fun. Mission Aviation started by Jim Elliott and I would say to you, whatever we have to sacrifice this side of heaven, whether it's our jobs or our very lives, God has a bigger plan and the cost of lying and living by a lie is so much greater than living by a truth that I would way rather pay the price for truth than to destroy the world in lies. It wasn't just Peter, it was the Jewish leaders. And the Jewish leaders, it actually says in there a couple times, this happened so that it would be fulfilled what was written, okay? What was written was in the Torah and these Jewish leaders 100% know what was in the Torah, they should have known. In fact, 
There's a passage in Matthew where it says that Jesus looked over Jerusalem and he wept. And he says that he wept because Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I have longed to draw you under my wings like a, like a hen with her chicks, and, but you would not have me. He was weeping. In the hour of your visitation, you should have known that I was here. And there's a testimony there that you can Google about the amount of days from Artaxerxes. And there's a prophecy that was fulfilled in just even that specific day when Jesus came into Jerusalem. If you want some homework this week, go do the math on that. It was amazing. But Jesus said, they should have known and they didn't. And why should they have known? By some estimates, 400 prophecies, by some 300. Here's what we know, hundreds of prophecies that Jesus fulfilled in his first coming from his birth, right, to the city of his birth, to his life, and specifically to his death, to his burial, to his resurrection. But look, just in these, in Psalms and Isaiah these prophecies that speak specifically not that Jesus was going to die, but in the way in which he would die. John 11, Jesus said, if I be lifted up, right, I will draw all men unto me. This he spoke about the manner in which he was to die, right? The, the Jewish leaders didn't uh, execute people by crucifying them. They did it by stoning them. The woman caught in adultery. They brought her to Jesus. You need to stone her. Acts chapter 7, Stephen was stoned. If you kill somebody by stoning them, it doesn't lift them up. It pushes them down. These prophecies were written hundreds of years before the Romans perfected crucifixion as an art. Speaking of hands that were pierced, he, he was pierced for our iniquity, or bruised and pierced, like his stripes, by his stripes. There are prophecies throughout the Old Testament that spoke not only of Jesus, but in the specific way in which he was going to die. So when it says that this happened so that it would be fulfilled, this is what it's talking about, that it would be fulfilled. Now the Jewish leaders, they were lying, they were denying the truth of the identity of Jesus, not to preserve their lives, but to protect their power. Now that, I don't know if you've seen lately, is still happening today. There are powerful people who look at the facts, who look at, like, say, their version of a prophecy, uh, their version of the data and say, that doesn't fit my narrative, so I'm going to tell you something completely different and try to kill off through social media, whatever, canceling you so that you don't get to know the truth because I'm protecting my power. The Jewish leaders, if Jesus were who he said he was, and he was, would literally destroy and decimate the power that they held on to so very tightly. In the church world especially, but in the world in general, this is our data. If we find ourselves trying to protect power based not on something that's in this Bible, but in some personal preference and some power structure in our leadership, or that's 100% denying the identity of Jesus just to protect our power. And Jesus, uh, he don't play that way. <laughs> 
we get a chance in our church, right, to say we want to go to the Word and we want to structure our, our church around what the Word of God says to us, and we don't want to be like the, the leaders of, the, of these Jewish people because if we deny the identity of Jesus, who he says he is, which is the Messiah, he's not just a, a good example or a good teacher. The identity of Jesus is the sacrifice for all of our sins, Denying that in our lives, we do it to our own peril and to our own hurt. The Jewish leaders denying his identity just to protect their power. And then there was Pilate. Pilate, the governor, who was protecting his peace. He denied the innocence of Jesus. He denied the holiness of Jesus, the deity of Jesus, if you will, so that he could do what? Just protect the, the, the status quo. You see, Pilate had a boss named Herod, and Herod had a boss named Caesar. And if Pilate couldn't get his job, that means Herod got in trouble for his job. And so Pilate's like, look, I got to calm all this nonsense down. Even though this guy's innocent, I would rather this guy die as an innocent man, right? Just to keep it quiet around here so that I can maintain my job and just maintain the status quo. That's what Pilate was doing. Because he's offering him Barabbas. Or he's saying, look, well, we can do this. Maybe he's literally tr trying to find anything possible to keep Jesus from being unfairly executed. And if you read in Matthew and Luke, you see that, I mean, Romans, by the way, were very superstitious. And Pilate's wife had had a dream and he was scared. So it wasn't like he was having a moral crisis, right? He was having a crisis of, I'm just trying to keep peace in my house, right? Because hell hath no fury like a Pilate's wife scorned. Do you know what I'm saying? And hell hath no fury like a Herod scorned. So he's just trying to find a way to make everybody happy so that he can keep his job and keep the peace in his own life and all I know to say is that if your peace comes at the expense of truth, that's not peace. It's putting your head in the sand. It's ignoring. There's an old saying that it's better to, you know, live, to die for truth than to live for a lie. And there are some things that are true that's going to wrestle and uh, create some con like controversy in our world and look, there have been people, I love them, I know Jesus loves them, but they've left our church, not because I'm not that great of a preacher, that's a perfectly acceptable reason to leave, but because they just didn't like the controversy. They liked the peace. They didn't want to think about the uncomfortable things. So I, I get it. I, I have no judgment towards them at all, but I promise you in 10 years, they're not going to have any more peace by pretending that something is true that is not, by ignoring problems that are in front of us just to keep the peace. That's what Pilate was doing, and it's not worth the price that we have to pay. If you're afraid of the consequences of living by truth, you should be far more afraid of living by the consequences of living by a lie. That's what Alexander Solzhenitsyn said in 1974. He was a Russian, a Soviet dissident. Again, this is readily available online. You can find this easily on the internet. But in 
1974, it was February of 1974, he had written and released this essay called Live Not By Lies. He was arrested the same day it was released, held in prison, beaten and tortured, and eventually exiled. And I'm just going to read to you two excerpts from what Solzhenitsyn wrote. It says, thus overcoming our temerity, let each man choose. Will he remain a witting servant of the lies? Needless to say, not due to natural predisposition, but in order to preserve a living for his family, to rear the children in the spirit of lies. Think about that statement. Or has the time come for him to stand straight as an honest man worthy of the respect of his children and contemporaries? And he goes on to say later in the essay, for us who have grown staid over time, even this most moderate path of resistance will not be easy to set upon. But how much easier it is than self-immolation or even a hunger strike. Flames will not engulf your body, your eyes will not pop out from the heat, and your family will always have at least a black piece of bread to wash down with a glass of water. Betrayed and deceived by us did not a great Europe people, the Czechoslovak, show us how one can stand down the tanks with bared chest along, alone as long, listen, as long as inside it beats a worthy heart. It will not be an easy path, perhaps, but it's the easiest among those that lie before us. Not an easy choice for the body, but the only one for the soul. What good is it if you've gained the whole world, Jesus says, only to lose your soul? There's one more category of people in John. There's one more person in this little vignette besides Peter, besides the Jewish leaders, besides Pilate. Just if right in those first few verses, <clears throat> excuse me, verse 15, Simon Peter and another disciple, <coughs> sorry, I'm coughing up a lung. Do you get more nervous when you cough these days because people think you got COVID? Is that just me? <coughs> That's one thing that we lost with COVID is coughing. <coughs> Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. Who in the heck is that? Who is the disciple that the high priest knew, that he knew? Who is the disciple that had the courage to be a follower of Jesus and walk right into the courtyard, right under the nose of the high priest? Who was the disciple that was willing to be so courageous to live by truth that he would risk his life to bring Peter with him? Now, in the book of John, John chapter 18, John chapter 21, John chapter 22, look through the entire book of John and see if you can see the name John, besides John the Baptist, mentioned. It's not in there because he only refers to himself as the disciple, the disciple whom Jesus loved. The he just, that's how he refers to himself, as the disciple. Commentators, now listen, we don't know for sure, but it seems to me, let the Bible interpret the Bible, consistency would say that that disciple was John. There's only one disciple that was at the cross. The other guys, well, Judas was, you know, hung up at the moment, but the rest of them, sorry, is that too soon? Oh, sorry. 
That was dark. You know why? My wife's not here. She's out. She's not here. So I can say with. <laughs> Don't tell her. Um, Judas, we know it wasn't him. We don't know where the other guys are. We don't know why it was. And by the way, for those that have opinions about women, women in ministry, you know who was at the cross? Women. Mary, Mar- the women were there. The men were hiding and cowering in a corner somewhere, but not the women. They were right there. But there was one disciple that was there, and it was John. There's a reason why when Jesus looked from the cross down and saw his mama, he said to John, this is your mom. Take care of her. And you know why? Because Jesus had spent three years. John was in his inner circle, and he knew. He sure knew better than Peter. Peter wasn't going to do it. Right? James, he ain't nowhere to be found. He knew that if he told John that he could trust John because John was willing to live with the courage of the truth. There was one disciple who looked at the reality of his life and said, consequences be um, darned. There's kids in here. Consequences, whatever. I'd rather live for the, die for the truth than live for a lie. We have a choice tonight. Do we want to be the categories of those that deny Jesus and our relationship with him to preserve our lives? Do we want to deny the identity of Jesus to protect our power, right? Do we want to deny the, the divinity of Jesus himself just to keep the peace because I don't want to talk about it and offend anybody? Or do I want to be John and say the truth matters. The truth is on trial 2,000 years later, just like it was in this courtyard and on this cross. And I'm going to tell you, this is the last thing I'm going to say, that this is why it's worth it. This is how we know that the truth is worth dying for. See, there were three crosses that day, right? We know about the two thieves on either side. But there was a cross prepared for a guy named Barabbas. It says that he was a revolutionary. Some translations say that he was an insurrectionist. He was a guy that participated in an actual insurrection, not a pretend one. (laughs) Called him an insurrectionist. The, the Jewish leaders are saying, give us that one. It's, in fact, Matthew says he was famous. They knew who he was. Now, listen to me. His name, Barabbas, Bar-Abbas, it means son of the father. And in Matthew, we learn that his first name, Jesus. Jesus Barabbas. Jesus, son of the father. And they said, we'll take this Jesus, the revolutionary, because at least he's got a sword, and not this Jesus, son of the father, because all he's going to do in his hand is have nails in his hand. They rejected that Jesus in exchange for the Jesus they wanted, the one that they thought could maintain their power. But that cross on that day that was meant for Barabbas, they'd already dusted it off and put it together for Barabbas. And when they said, give us Barabbas, not Jesus, Jesus hung on that cross that belonged to Barabbas so that Barabbas could go free. Jesus died so that Barabbas could go free. 
Jesus died so that you and I could go free. That cross was meant for you and me, just like it was for Barabbas, but he chose to take it so that I would not have to die like that. He died for me. And if he would do that for me, the least I could do is live for him. Stand to your feet. Heavenly Father, give us courage. Holy Spirit-inspired courage I'm so inspired because I know that Peter blew it that night, but it was just a few weeks later that he stood in front of thousands of people that wanted him dead and spoke the truth to them. And thousands of people came to faith. Lord, would you give us the courage to live for you, even if it costs us everything? Lord, we would love Nothing more than to have none of this have to be a problem, but that's not the world we live in. We live in a Genesis 3 world, and the father of lies is still here. One day you're coming back, you're going to wipe all that out, but until then, the only, the main, the, the, the best act of revolution that we could possibly do is to live by truth and not by lies. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you guys. Go out there and live by the truth this week, not by lies.